This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Drive to deep center field. Going back, Hernandez at the track, right to the wall. Gone! Elvis Andrews! And 29 other MLB clubs. High drive, deep left field. Guerrero lifts one to left field and gone. Oh, Tani, that was a moonshot out there in the right center. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from OPS Plus to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. And I can guarantee you one thing, just not my show, but I think every single show out there is talking about what happened last night in Iowa. Yes, it was great watching the A's pound, and I mean absolutely pound the Guardians yesterday, 17 to nothing. But what happened at the Field of Dreams game and what we got to see on television And you're going to hear a little bit today and tomorrow, Roxy Bernstein, our buddy, called the game from uh, for ESPN. It was a really special moment for our game. You know, this we're talking about one of the iconic movies of its time. It's one of the great baseball movies of all time. It's one of the great father and sons and family movies of all time. And Kevin Costner, one of the biggest actors uh, of his generation. And to take us all to Iowa, not New York City, not Los Angeles, not San Francisco, not Chicago, Philadelphia, but to Iowa. And to create a baseball field that I truly think, and we'll ask Doug this, and I already asked Roxy this, I want to see this every year. You know, the A's are always a team that tells Major League Baseball, hey, we're up for Japan. We're up for Australia. I mean, the A's have been to Japan three times. You don't think the A's would be in? I would be way in on going to this. When else am I ever going to go to Iowa? It's not going to happen. I mean, I don't, unless there was like someone I don't know going to be getting married. It's not the commander because commanders get married in Monterey. Uh, if it's not a marriage or a death, I have no idea why I would ever go to Iowa. I haven't covered for, I haven't covered college sports in a long, long time. So to be able to go there and that stadium was just incredible. And I'm so glad that they left the old stadium and they left it all alone. So if you go there, you do get to experience what the movie was actually like. And they kept the house that was Kevin Costner's house. If you build it, they will come. So you get to experience all of that. 
And then you saw the maze and the path that leads over to the new stadium. And they built that new stadium to look so old school, but it's modern. And Cody and I were texting and I'm like, I think, Cody, you said you think it's only going to be one game. I'm like, there's no way this is going to be one game. They didn't build that for this for one game and see you later. I, I I bet you at some point we'll look back and every single team in Major League Baseball will play in this stadium. Well, I think Joe Buck said on the broadcast last night that they Commissioner Rob Manfred committed to, that they're going to play there again next year. And we've seen this a few times now with baseball where they they played the game at Fort Bragg on the East Coast where they played a couple of destination sites and they haven't played there again. Oh, they played but Mexico City, they played in Cuba. London, Australia, last year. Japan. Right. Yeah, the London game, which was horrible at Wembley Stadium. Five-hour-long games with the Yankees-Red Sox. So you couldn't have you couldn't picked two worst teams to play in London that were going to have marathon games. But if you're trying to grow the game, those are two good teams to have there. But you know their games are going to go forever. But the, the scene last night was awesome. The game was even better. Uh, if you wanted to have a scene with players who look like players from the 1920s, Lance Lynn was the perfect pitcher to have on the mound for the, the body, the 1920s, his body, the beard, the, the beer belly, everything. It was perfect the way that was that all worked out. If there was only one, what would worry me, I'm worried the ballpark might be a little bit of a bandbox. If you watched the game last night, no undershirts, I mean, it's humid. And that's one of the reasons the ball flies, the dense air, the dense hot air, the the ball will fly further. That and in light air versus what, like, we know as sea level. So, and you know this because they've done, it's not the studies in baseball, it's the studies in golf of how a ball goes through the air, you know, elevation, but, it was humid. You could see those guys were sweating big time. It's Iowa. It's the middle of the country. We're talking about the Field of Dreams game. So a bunch of them, the the White Sox guys, they had no undershirt on. They just had their jersey unbuttoned halfway down, and each guy's sporting multiple chains with medallions. I might need to change my look now that I think about it. Get me a rope. And then get me another chain with like a medallion and be rolling around the Coliseum. What do you think, Cody? That's usually how the White Sox play, though. I mean, they uh, they always have the shirt unbuttoned. Jose Abreu has the goatee with the 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 uh, rubber band in it. Uh, I mean, they, they have they play with swagger. I like watching them play. Lopex got to get rid of that ponytail, man. <laughs> he looks like he looks like Fultonevich, who the A's are going to miss this that's, series. That's not uh, a good look. It's not a good look. Yeah, it's not a. It, but hey, he throws hard and. I mean, he got miffed. I went and looked on the um, the the K zone or whatever we call it now. That was a, the the picture talking about was a strike. I don't know. I looked on MLB on the MLB a bad app. It it showed did, it. It was a ball. Did it touch any part of the line? I mean, it was close. I mean, like it nicked. The, I mean, it you, it could go either way. It's a strike if it hits the line. There were some bad calls, but do you want to hear how the so Tim Anderson hits the walk off? Here's uh here's how it sounded via Roxy Bernstein. Lefty Britton fires at Anderson in the air to right. It's got a chance. Judge is back. Gone. Home run. White Sox have won the game. Tim Anderson, a walk-off homer with one out in the bottom of the ninth. And a comeback for the White Sox after the Yankees took the lead in the top of the ninth inning. So there's how the game ended. Mr. Walk-off, Roxy Bernstein, 
Seems like every game Roxy calls anymore, there's a walk-off. From? Cal? The Peninsula. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Well, I love when, when we when we talked to him. You were asking about it, and he had no idea that the, what the joke was. <laughs> yeah. Well, then his phone died, and we changed the joke on the way back. What's up, Franny? What's up, dude? How are you? How you been? Oh, I'm, I'm so good. And usually this number that calls me is not from Boston. It's from New York. So it's a little <laughs> messed up around here. It's our millennial technology is what, what what we're dealing with. Yeah, 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 yeah. What's up? So uh, trading deadline, you guys aren't in first place. All of a sudden now you're in first. You've won eight in a row. People got to be jacked up right now in Philadelphia. Yeah, winning World Series now. It went from fire sale to World Series in a week. So, uh, you know what? It, it's, it's awesome just to see the vibe around the city change. It, Eagle season is starting. We already know that. It started back in, uh, oh, when the season ended for the Eagles. And it's, I think, the other teams here in Philadelphia that need to change their minds. And, and finally, the Phillies are changing their minds. And uh, they're playing good baseball. It's not playing great. I wouldn't say they're sitting here and, and lie to you and say they're playing great baseball, but they're playing winning baseball uh, when they need to. Um, and they're beating the teams that they need to at the right time. Um, and I think that's, that, that's the biggest thing. Are you shocked by the tailspin of the Mets? You know, I a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit shocked. They obviously have the pitching, and they've all, you know, like everybody, they've all been hurt. Um, Lindor was not great offensively. He was starting to turn around when he got hurt. Um, and, and then you add in the Javi Baez. And I, I just think that it, it's shocking because it, it's happened so quick. Um, you know, and DeGrom going down, it's happened so quick. Um, there's no right time in, in sport for any injury. I get that. But again, we're, we're talking about, you, you know, you're, you're asking about, you know, us and you're talking about the Mets and the team that I've all said all along that no, you know, we're not going to be talking about, especially because the Cunha goes down are the Braves and the Braves are doing what the Braves do. And that's win. And so if I'm the Phillies, it's, it's making sure, you know, you're not looking ahead you're not looking behind. You're looking right in front of you. And that's the main thing. Look right in front of you at that game that day because if you if you start worrying about like what's going to happen ahead, uh, that's when teams pass you by. And that's the break. Well, I'll tell you what the trading deadline and what that did for our clubhouse was oh. amazing. Talk about the trade deadline where uh, the Phillies said we're in this thing and and we're going for it. What did that do for for this clubhouse? I, it inspired them, number one. Number two, uh, they got better as far as who they got, you know, and, and giving up Spencer Howard for Kyle Gibson two years or at least, a, you know, a, a, a year and, and two months, um, I think was a great trade uh, based on what Kyle has done, what Ian Kennedy has done. I think, you know, you're looking at, at, at two trades right there that, that matter in the grand scheme of things. Um, the, the one that's going to go sneaky under everything is because of, uh, you know, he's not the prototypical. Everyone's like, oh, man, Freddie, Freddie Galvis, is, that, that, that's the one that I'll point to because what he has done since he's been here, and that is not play one single pitch, not one single pitch, but he is the pipe piper in that, in, in that uh, dugout. Guys are following him. He's one of the, the best young leaders I've ever been around. Uh, and I knew, knew him when he was 20. I knew him when he was up in the big leagues, uh, you know, first came up with the, the Phillies. He has everything that you want as a leader. 
And to me, that has changed a lot of things. You got guys that are going to be held accountable now, and you need that. Everybody needs that, you know. And and you know, for the what what Starley Marte is going over to with with, with the A's, like his talent can just play. Oh, there's all leadership already there, you know. And and he can just go out and play and not have to do anything other than that. And that's a big thing. Well, you know, Freddie to me reminds me a lot of Johnny Gomes. You know, where a guy yeah. comes in and has that presence and immediately is the leader and everybody understands veteran guys. You know, we, 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 we in baseball, we talk so much about data, but leadership and you can talk to it in your great career. Uh, leadership means so much. Somebody's got to, as you said, hold people accountable and somebody has to lead the human being. Yeah, so it could be. It- so many different ways to lead, right? By example, by by voice, by voice and example. If you, you got the best player that proves it, like a Mookie Betts, right? That proves it every day out in the field, the way he preps, does all that. And then you could be a voice in the clubhouse. That's, you know, that, that that's icing on, on, on top. But it's the clubhouses that has the uh, the leader that is just a, a point. And then, you know, like, oh, well, he makes the most money, so he's the leader. No, that's not how it is. Leadership doesn't mean that you are the most, you're the best player or the most paid player. Leadership is a guy that you, you know, that, that goes out every day to understand, you know, that doesn't take a day for granted, that prepares to win and does everything on the field and off to win. And, you know, with the, the main focus of being your, your organization, well, Freddie's that way. And I, I totally agree with you. People go, oh man, look at him. He goes to a new team. He's like, no, because that's who he's going to invest in. He's going to invest in, those 24 guys, now 25 guys on these rosters, uh, you know, to, to, to make that. And I, and I think that's the, one of the most, if not the greatest need in any clubhouse is that, is that type of leader. Bryce Harper is right in his prime. There's no question about it. 28 years old, he's in his prime. He's hitting over 300. He's hitting bombs. Uh, would you say he's the favorite for the MVP right now in the National League? Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't think so. And, and the reason why I say that is uh, what Fernando Tatis had done before he'd been hurt. I get it. He's still hurt. But it's pretty loud in what he did. Now, if Bryce leads his team and they win the East, I, I mean, how could you fault that? I, I think that, you know, they're jumping on his back. He's doing a lot of great things. Uh, but I can't, I can't sit there and say he's the favorite because, you know, this is – you can say these numbers have been going on for a while, but it hasn't been, you know, a very loud, all this stuff. And he's starting to make everything loud. When things get loud for Bryce, as far as bat, homers, the, just the, the, everything around the winning, uh, then, then, then you do have a consistent, you know, favorite in the MVP. But to me, like, Hadiz has done a, a, a ton. You can't fault that. Uh, but again, battle of attrition. If he can't get back on there, then maybe he is. Yeah, because that's the thing for me. It's like you start looking at the National League West, and the Padres are in third place. He's not healthy. I, You know, when Tatis is playing, obviously he's a dynamic talent. But if you can't be on the field, how are you going to be the MVP? Your greatest your greatest ability could be your availability, right? has to be it. And uh, for him, I look, every time that he goes down, it's unfortunate for the game. Not just only the Padres, but for the game. Because what he does and who he is. Um, that, that, is a, that, that is a special ball player. So I think we're all like, it's nothing, not like saying that you don't want that for Bryce. It's just like, no, but like you see this up and coming talent that you're going like, we don't, we've never seen this. You want that to be. 
But again, he's hurt all the time. So you don't want this like, what was, what could have been. No, we don't want that with that. Uh, did you hear about uh, your good friend Dean Matson going into the San Jose State Hall of Fame? I did. It's a place he belongs in that hair. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, that's, you know, I, as I said to him, if people don't know, uh, San Jose State one year played in the College World Series, and they're one of the greatest teams in San Jose State Spartan history, and they're being honored going into the Hall of Fame. And uh, I, I think all those guys deserve it because when you play for a national title, that's some special stuff. Yeah, no, and it's one of those that I've always, I've always said that uh, um, those guys should have always been inducted well before I was. I mean, because what I did was individual. That was a group effort that no one gave them a chance. And I always felt like I was, I did them wrong by being in there before them. And so I'm beyond excited for everybody, the coaching staff, Coach Ferraro, because we all know he belongs in there without a team. So, it, uh, yeah, it'll be a special time because it's the greatest team to ever play there. No doubt, the 2000 College World Series team. You, you, you are on the Mount Rushmore, though. I mean, I don't think you're Mark Langston, but you are no, on the Mount no. Rushmore. Uh, no, I mean, I'm, I, if, I'm in, if I'm in the conversation, I'm all, I'm all for it. But you know what? That Mount Rushmore to me, uh, we could put Langston on there and, and, and all that stuff. But for me, and I think you know that, like that 2000 team, that whole team is on there because of what they did for uh, that school. And – I would not be where I am today because that team gave me that. When they got into the College World Series, when they got into the regionals, and I was going to San Jose State, and I was going on all these all-star trips for, for high school stuff, I was going to San Jose State. I became like, whoa, you're going there? It's like They uplifted a lot of confidence in me as a player, and it, it, it started so much. Well, I don't know what the humidity is like right now in Philadelphia. I'll just let uh, you know. It's oppressively hot. I'll just let you know, yesterday at uh, Poppy Hills down at Pebble Beach, it was right. 65 and sunny. I, I hate you right now, but I love you at the same time. <laughs> All right, buddy. Can't wait to have you back home. I can't wait. I'll see you, buddy. Hello? Tom, how you doing? Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. How are you, Chris? I'm doing wonderful. It's been a while since we last spoke. How's life treating you there? <laughs> Well, it's hot, it's humid, but we're playing baseball. We're back traveling with a ball club, so everything is good and uh, just uh, happy to have a full season again. Wow, that's that that that's great to hear because I know there's only like 12 teams that are are traveling th their radio crews. What's that been like for you to be back out on the road? Well, it's the only way you can do the game the right way. I mean, we all did what we had to do last year off television monitors and whatnot and made the best of a, a tough situation. But uh, you can't broadcast a ball game properly that way. And, you know, you also lose complete contact with the ball club, with your players, with your coaching staff. So, you know, that ability now to, to get down there, talk to guys, try and get some stories that you can, you know, use during the broadcast other than, you know, here's the pitch and so-and-so's hitting such and such on a full moon every Tuesday. You know, it just you just can't um, do the game properly that way, I don't think. So we're just very grateful to be back on the road. I know all of the guys wish they could be, and there are circumstances that are keeping some of the crews from traveling, and uh, I sympathize with them because uh, – the game was meant to be watched in person. And, you know, the, the beauty too, Chris, is 
you love going to these cities and you love going to these venues and you got the best seat in the house and you didn't have to pay for it. Well, yeah, I mean, recently, you know, the Hall of Famer, Eric Nadell, stopped by Ace Cast Live, and, we, you know, he loves getting his Chinese food in, in San Francisco, <laughs> and he talked about being on a hike in Berkeley, and it was like, we we miss seeing you guys, because we haven't seen you in, like, two years. <laughs> yeah, it uh, it feels like we're back to normal, and, uh, you know, you just hope our country continues to progress in the right way, and that, uh, you know, we can get beyond the COVID, although it uh, is certainly rearing its ugly head once again. So like I say, I'm just uh, very grateful that the Indians really pushed for us to be back traveling and to be with the ball club. And, um, you know, we don't have the kind of playoff team that we've been spoiled with over the last six years. But, uh, you know, if your rebuilding year means you're a 500 ball club, that's pretty good because what they don't want to be doing here is, doing these teardowns to the studs where you lose a hundred plus games for five years and you do that and you, you lose a whole generation of fans. Yeah. I think, I mean, you're, you're dead on. I mean, if you're a team that's trying to rebuild, but you're doing it at a 500 clip, that's something we really haven't seen too much in the history of our game since, I mean, you think about all the years you've been doing games. If you're going to tell me I'm in rebuild mode on 500, I take that every day of the week. Yeah, I, I, I agree, Chris. And I, you know, I think the Oakland A's are another example of, you know, how well they've done it year in and year out. Yeah, there are some years that the A's don't make the playoffs or they have a rough season, but you don't see the Oakland A's go for an extended period of time where I don't want to say losing's accepted, but losing is acknowledged as part of a teardown. And, uh, you know, I think markets like Oakland and Cleveland Boy, that, that's tough to tell your fans, hey, we'll see you in five, six years, and we hope this thing works out. And I know it has worked for some ball clubs, Chris, but there are a lot of ball clubs that it hasn't worked for, and a lot of ball clubs that have been doing it for a while that are still losing. So um, I, I say kudos to the Oakland A's and the Indians front offices because they've been very adept at, again, dealing with limited revenues not having a $150, $200 million payroll. And yet when you have sharp people in your front office like the Indians and A's do, then you can somehow find a way to compete. And as we know, October is a roll of the dice. You know, we have seen it here firsthand that just get to October because Lord only knows what's going to happen. But getting to October is the key. And uh, certainly it looks like the A's will be there again for the Indians, you know, It'll be one of those years we don't make it. Well, you make a great point. If you're not trying to win, uh, people will flip right to the Cleveland Browns and Baker Mayfield so fast. <laughs> you have no one, right? No one will care come August, September. Football's right around the corner, and that kid's dynamic. Yeah, and it, uh, it, uh, we know how much of a juggernaut the NFL is. And uh, in a city like Cleveland, even when the Browns were going winless, um, it didn't seem to douse any of the fan interest. So, you know, that's the reality of being in a city that, you know, has such a passion for football. But, you know, I, I do think in a city like Cleveland, they have a passion for sports. And it is the smallest market in the major leagues in which you have a professional football team, an NBA team, and a major league baseball team. So, you know, it, it's pretty cutthroat for the entertainment dollar. 
in a metro area the size of Cleveland. And, um, you know, the Browns obviously look like they're really good. The, the Cavaliers were good when they had LeBron James, but uh, they've been rebuilding ever since he left town for a second time. So, you know, it, it's very competitive in this market, but it's great sports fans, Chris. And what you don't want is apathy. And, uh, you know, people might be angry with you like some people are because of the name change and whatnot. But you'd rather have that than people say, well, I don't care. Uh, no doubt about it. And what was that like changing it? I mean, this is the, the Cleveland Indians have been around forever. Now you're going to be the Cleveland Guardians. How's that going for Cleveland? Uh, probably as you might expect, uh, Chris. I mean, when you've had a name like this for over 100 years and, you know, generations of fans have grown up as Indians fans, you know, there's a large segment of the population that if they don't understand it, they're not really accepting it. And I just think we have to be open-minded and we're in a world of change right now. And I thought the Indians did a great job as far as really getting together with a lot of Native American tribes around the country, not just in this area, but you know, they, they really dug into this and wanted to hear from the people who are Native Americans. You know, it's, it's easy for me as a, a white person to say, well, the Indians aren't offensive. Well, that's not right. You know, that, that, that isn't right for me to say that. So I think you needed to talk to the people. They did. And the Native Americans spoke and they said, you know, we don't approve of it. And so thus, you know, our ownership I thought did the right thing in, the, in this day and age where that becomes such an issue. Uh, you know, if you have a great baseball team, they're going to love you, whether you're the Guardians or the Indians. If your ball club isn't any good, uh, they're going to be unhappy no matter what your nickname is. And as the ownership said, look, we're not getting away from the memories of Indians fans or the great Indians players or the great years that have taken place in Cleveland Indians franchise history. You still have those memories, those statues out there of Lou Boudreau and Frank Robinson and Larry Doby and Jim Tomey. Uh, those are Indians. That's not going to change, but uh, you know, it's still going to be Cleveland. That's the most important part. You've got a baseball team. They're in the city of Cleveland. And again, if you win, Chris, I think the guardians will be accepted much quicker and, I, a large number of people love the name, but you're always going to, especially in today's day, hear more from the people that don't like it. You know, obviously we're missing two great Indians, and one of them is our very good friend Ray Fossey battling cancer, yeah. and Tito Francona, who is a part of the A's family, ha has stepped aside. Just just talk about how these two guys, what they mean to Cleveland, and and it's sad they won't be a part of this series. Well, I have never met a finer man in any walk of life than Ray Fossey. And I'll say that right up front. I don't care if it's in the baseball world. It's in any walk of life. I haven't met a finer guy or a guy I respect more than Ray Fossey. And, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with Ray and his family and in his battle to, to defeat this, you know, just insidious disease and, it's not the same when you play the Oakland A's if you don't see the smiling face of Ray Fossey and then have your hand crushed by him when he <laughs> shakes hands with you because 
he's still got the strength of a bear when he shakes your hand. And, uh, you know, it, it's not the same not having Ray around. And, uh, you know, he, he is a beloved Indian. Um, people here know how great a player he was. They also realize how his career was impacted by Pete Rose in that all-star game. But I, I don't think there's a better ambassador for the game of baseball than Ray. And what I love about Ray is he still loves the game and today's players. He's still down on the field. He's still relevant. He's still talking to today's players. And he doesn't live in the past. And uh, uh, because of that, his insight to the game is, you know, you can't replace that. So, it uh, again, I'm, I'm sure keeping him in our thoughts and prayers. And, you know, the same with Tito. But it was time for Tito to get healthy. Um, we know now that this is not a ball club that's going to make the playoffs. And Tito, with the surgeries that he has to have, he's had the hip replacement in six weeks. He has to have a rod put in his big toe and his foot, from which he had the staph infection from back in December. So those are long-term injuries as far as recuperation. And had he waited until the end of the season, he would not have been healthy and ready to go come spring training. So um, the Indians felt like this was the prudent thing to do get Tito healthy because, you know, there are not a lot of managers in my mind in this game that are clear difference makers in the dugout. And I'm not disparaging anyone when I say that, but there are certain guys that are elite when it comes to being major league managers and are difference makers. The Oakland A's have one in Bob Melvin. Uh, That's why they keep winning. In addition to the front office, Bob Melvin's a difference maker when it comes game time. And I think Tito Francona is as good a manager as the game has ever seen. Yes, he won two World Series with the Boston Red Sox, but look what he's also done in a market the size of Cleveland where you don't have the revenue that you have in a Boston or a New York or an area like that. So, um, you know, Tito is as good as it gets. Uh, he creates a culture here. It's why this ball club contends year in and year out and why they keep playing the game the right way and to your point chris uh, you know these are giants of the game and, and we're losing too many of these guys we need these guys in our game yeah and let's end on this because the last time i was in cleveland i went out with ray to heritage park to his plaque and we mm-hmm. did an interview from his plaque and of course the great Dwayne kuiper was right next to him that plaque and And I I think for our fans, you know, we know Ray won World Series with the Oakland Athletics, but I think I I I don't think our fans really understand, you know, he's one of the great Indians of all time. And on top of that, Chris, and you're dead on, if you take away that injury. Now remember, after the All-Star game, he played the rest of that year with a broken shoulder. Yes. (laughs) We 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 have guys going on the injured list now with much more minor injuries and you never see him the rest of the year. He played with a broken shoulder. This guy was the American league's answer to Johnny bench before that devastating injury. And he still had a tremendous career. And uh, again, he's a, he's an even better person. Well, we always appreciate your time. I'm so glad you're back out on the road. I can't wait for all of us to see each other again, but Whenever you come on, you make the program a better place. And thank you so much for your time and enjoy this series. Well, it's an honor to be with you, Chris. And uh, we need to get Kenny and uh, 
Vin back out on the road as well. We miss seeing those guys and miss seeing you as well. So thanks so much, Chris. Take care. Be well and be safe. You too, my friend. Bip, you know we love having you on the program. How are you, buddy? Man, Tony, I am living the dream, as people say, man. It's beautiful California right now and covering the A's. I mean, I'm just a kid in the candy store right now. Just how much fun has it been for someone like yourself covering this team for NBC Sports California since the trades were made and truly changed the lineup? It's been Tony, exciting to the max. You know, for a long time, we've covered the A's, and we've never had a talent like Starlin Marte show up. A guy that takes you – here's a guy that could play in any era because he's got a short, quick bat, and he can stay inside the ball and use the entire field, but use his speed, find ways to get on base, play a great outfield. He's a throwback player playing in today's age. And you see what type of talent that is that we haven't seen in so long? We saw the home run or the strikeout. But to have a guy like this who can play in every era has totally changed the face of this ball club in just two weeks. The two weeks he's been here, He's been one of the best players I've seen with the Oakland A's in probably the last 10 years. And and you think about just how tough he is to defend because of everything you just said. He can hit, yeah, he yeah. can bunt, he can run. There's so many different things, you know, top, you know, and, and it's really like the guys you played with and you uh, played against back in the day where you, you speed comes to the ballpark and you put pressure on the defense. And that's what he does. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah, talk. It's, yeah. it's like he could have been playing with you in the 80s. Oh, man. You know, he reminds me of Marquise Griffin a lot because Marquise could use the entire field. He could hit with some power. He's still your 70, 80 bags a year. And he was a gold glove center fielder. And, you know, it's just one of those things where in our era, we had a lot of guys who played that way and they were successful. And then baseball changed its way of home runs and strikeouts. But Marquise. He just, he's a throwback to me. And when I watch him play, it just excites me to see a guy who can do everything. You know, I watched him the other day, hits the ball hard to right field. Then he comes up late in the ball game and he gets a slider inside and he just drops the bat head on it and hits it out the yard. Just doing the little things with the bat. He's quiet lower, with the lower bottom and he stays inside the ball and he hits the ball where it's pitched. He lets the ball travel deep as we always talk about as hitters and he just serves the ball where it's pitched. He looks fastball, and he adjusts the breaking ball. You don't see him many times take a fastball right down the middle because he's not, he's not a guest hitter. He has an approach. He sticks to his approach every day, and that's what professional hitters do. You know, I, I, I never had the opportunity to s- steal a lot of bases because uh, I didn't have the foot speed like you did, Bibster. But I, I, I'm thinking, you know, when he gets on first base, Everybody knows he's going. What is that like? Because I know you were able to do that. What is that like when everybody in the ballpark knows you're stealing second base and they can't stop you? It just pumps you up. You can hear the crowd basically saying, go, go, go. And then all of a sudden you get this extra adrenaline flow and you're like, I'm ready to go. Let me pick a pitch that I can go. When I watched, but see, back then we had the slide step and we had pitch out. Tommy, when's the last time you seen a pitch out? <laughs> when's the last time you seen a pitch out? Well, they, no hey, pitch hey, out hey, I'm telling you right now, there's kids listening right now that go, what's a slide step? 
<laughs> and what's a pitch out? They don't do that anymore. So right now, he's caught the game at a good time where guys like him can take advantage of this. I mean, he is running every time he gets on base. And, yeah, we had a close play at second base yesterday, but he was safe, you know. And, and the bottom line is that here's a guy, again, that catches this era of baseball kind of at that point where they're starting to look again and go, we need athletes on the field. And the A's did that. They got Josh Harrison. They got Marte that go along with the other guys who are capable of doing the job. So they just added some real timely pieces that make this team look more athletic than it did at the beginning of the season. How would you handle relievers today? Because they're not even looking at you. Like, they do not care. They're not worried about holding you on. They just want to strike everybody out. How would you deal with that as a base dealer? I'd go every time I got an opportunity. You know, you sit there and you just pick up a guy's tendencies. You know, they look at you one time, then they go to the plate, then they look at you two times, and then they go to the plate. Real deliberate. They're not quick to the plate at all. And if you're at second, you can steal third base before he even decides to throw to the plate. I mean, it's just so one of those things where I watched and I, and I caught a glimpse of what uh, Andres was doing one day. He had his glasses on, but he wasn't looking at the pitcher when he was on first. He was looking at the catcher, and he was able to pick up what the catcher was doing, and this is why these guys get great jumps. Pitchers just don't come over there quickly like they used to. So now you got time to look at the catcher. He sets up. He calls him. He, he puts the finger down. He sets up. Oh, that's a breaking ball. He's got to get in position to block it. Oh, that's a breaking ball. Boom, you go. Easy stolen base. And so they just make it so obvious, again, because the running game has been in the dark for so long. Now the guys are starting to run. They're picking up the tendencies of the catcher more so than the pitcher. I can't even imagine what Ricky Henderson would do. Tim Ray, <laughs> uh, Maury Wills. I can't even imagine what these guys would do in this era. They were still 100 a year easy and wouldn't be tired. You know, and, I, and I'm sure the man of steel wouldn't even have to go head first. He probably could go in feet first because he would be in by 15 feet. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just amazing how Andrews gets a great jump. Marte gets a great jump. Harrison, they get great jumps because, again, they're ahead of the game right now. The game has slowed down so much that they don't worry about pitch outs. Catcher doesn't worry about setting up. And then these guys can pick it up. These guys are great base stealers. And, and, and they're, they're great base stealers because they pick up the little things when they're on first base or on second base. So that gives them a big advantage. And that's an advantage that the A's, they get in the playoffs. That's a big advantage that they can take, take advantage of in the playoffs. Do you think at some point that baseball is going to have to make changes to realize you've got to control the running game or it's just going to kill you? <laughs> I think they're going to have to start working on pickoff moves again and being quick, quick-footed and throwing the first base. I mean, because we used to have guys that that had some great moves back in our day. You couldn't just get out there and okay, I'm going to steal. They have some moves that would have you looking like, what was he doing? That's a ball. Oh no, that's not a ball. See, that's a great call. I mean, that's a great pickoff move. And so you had to understand that even right-handers had quick feet and could step off that mound and throw the first base. So you had to always feel your toes to be able to get back. But I don't see that now. You know, you got guys who are bigger now. And so maybe they're not as swift with feet, with the foot as, with the footwork as these guys were, you know. Maybe they're 6'3", 6'5", 6'7", you know, 250 pounds. They're not going to be twinkle toes on the mound. So 
You know, I think that these base runners, they just have an advantage right now. Take advantage until baseball decides that, you know what, we're going to pay a game to the run. We're going to pay attention to the running game again. So we've got to work on our pickoff moves. But I don't see that coming this season. So the A's right now, Marte, Andrews, Harrison, hey, keep your track shoes on because they could steal a lot of bases. You know, back in your era, if it was August and you were hitting 213, you would be gone. You wouldn't be playing. But we're in an era now, Bip, that we got guys that full season, they're hitting under 200, around 200, below 220. Is there is there a time, do you think, a player can just say, to hell with it, I'm not going to worry uh, what the average and what the scoreboard says. I'm just going to concentrate on the here and now. Is that easy to do or too tough to do? You know, Tony, you, you, you said a mouthful right there, and that's what happens. The guys come to the season, they start off hot, and then all of a sudden they cool off, and they go down and hit rock bottom. And that's when you got to say, you know what, I'm a better player than this, and you just got to throw caution to the wind and say, whatever happens, happens. And you keep that attitude. You know, you don't become a guest hitter. You know, because I remember one time playing with Jack McKeon. I hit a fly ball to center field. And I remember running off the field and I heard him say, Robert, you keep hitting fly balls like that and you'll be sitting right next to me. Okay, I got you. We want results. We don't want this analytic, oh, he hit the ball hard four out of five times, but he was 0 for four. I don't want that. We want results. If you hit the ball hard four times, we need two hits off those four hard hit ground balls or hard hit whatever. But I think when you see guys taking fastballs right down the middle, or missing fastballs right down the middle. A lot of times it's because they're trying to pull pitches that you cannot pull. You know, you got to stay inside the ball and make solid contact. You pull breaking balls. You look for fastball and you adjust the breaking balls. The, the breaking ball speeds up your bat and now you're able to drive one out the yard. But hitters should be looking try, to try to hit the ball in the gaps. Right-handed, look the right center gap. Left-handers, look the left center gap and adjust from that. Therefore, you stay on the fastball. Did I see guys guessing because analytics say this guy throws this pitch 40% of the time. This guy throws this pitch 30% of the time. I don't care about that at all. All I want to do is see the ball, see where it's pitched, and have the muscle memory to have the swing for that pitch. I don't care what he throws. And if I get off the fastball, now I'm in jeopardy of striking out because I put myself in a situation where now I'm looking for breaking ball, and if he throws fastball, he throws it right by me. So you have to sit on fastball, and then you make adjustments to breaking ball. That's been a cardinal rule of baseball since baseball started. As far as a hitter, you never get off the fastball. You stay on it until a guy shows you he can throw his secondary pitches for call strikes. And when that happens, now you make the adjustment, look fastball, and adjust the breaking ball. You know, I think about that philosophy of taking pitches, and – there was kind of that belief. It really kind of happened late 90s, early 2000s where, hey, let, let, let's see a lot of pitches and get into the bullpen. Well, now teams want to get into their bullpen. Teams want their bullpen out there faster than ever. And, and we have seen the data shows guys are throwing strikes. So if you go yeah, up yeah. there looking, you're going to be down 0-2-1-2 really fast. And just talk about that as a hitter, how if you're always in a pitcher's count, you're in trouble. You are definitely in trouble. These relievers come in now, and they're bringing it. They're bringing that fastball, and they may have another second pitch. But as a hitter, 
if you go up there and you're looking, okay, I'm going to take a pitch, boom, you're 0-1. Now he's got you set up where he wants you. Now he can move the ball in our way. He can change speeds on you if he's got that secondary pitch. Or he can throw his fastball, which I still believe is the best pitch, through your weakness. Because now he's got you 0-1. He throws it to your weakness. You foul it off. Now it's 0-2. Now he comes with a secondary pitch that might be a slider, pretty good slider, that looks like a fastball in the same zone. You chase the strike three. So now you've really given him two strikes to work with instead of you having three swings. I'd rather have three swings than two than, than one swing at a pitcher who could throw 100-plus with a secondary pitch, which is the slider. So my thing is, you go up there, you know what he's going to throw. If he throws your first pitch fastball, you better be ready to jump on it. If it's a first pitch fastball and it's a ball, now if he comes back in that same zone, you should be ready for that ball. But if he comes back with a secondary pitch and it's not a call strike, I'm going to eliminate that pitch all the way and I'm just going to sit on fastball. So you got to have an idea and approach what it is you're trying to do. You can't make it up at the plate, even though you make adjustments to every pitch. You still have to work that approach and you work that approach because that's the what you do. As Tony Gray used to say, you do what you do at the plate and don't worry about what the other guys do. You do what you do at the plate and most of the times you'll get good results. You know, pretty crazy. Speaking of your old teammate, Tony Gwynn, the Hall of Famer, we had Tony Gwynn Jr. on the program, and we had him on the field. And the minute he opens up his mouth, he sounds exactly like his father. <laughs> it, is, it is so, I, you know, as somebody who grew up in San Diego, Bip, and I grew up watching you guys, the minute he starts talking, you're like, oh, my God, he sounds just like his dad. It's crazy. Yeah, little Anthony sounds just like Big Tony. You know, it, it's, it is amazing. I watched a lot of the Padre games because I can get those channels. And when he's doing the game, I'm like, man, he sounds just like his dad, man. He sounds just like him. So, you know, Tony will never, uh, his voice will always be heard because it's in his son's voice. And, and little Gwen, little, little Anthony told me one day as he was in, near the end of his career, he said he didn't know what he was going to do after he retired. And I think we were doing an A's game and he was playing with, I don't know, maybe it was Texas or something. And he looked across the field and he saw me doing the pregame show. And he said, I can do that. That's what I can do. And so when I saw him at his, uh, you know, uh, Miss Templeton, uh, Gary Templeton's wife's funeral, he came up to me and he told me that story. He said, I didn't know what I was going to do until I saw you, big bro. And I, I knew what I was going to do then. So he was like, thank you for, you know, opening the door for me, one that I didn't even know could be open. And so it was just, it just made me feel good to know that, you know, little guys like that are watching what we do and then what we're doing, they're trying to emulate or try to find their way. And if they don't know how to find their way and they look and they see one of us doing something, then they know that that's something that they can do. And so it just made me feel good to know that I helped him out, even though Pops wasn't around anymore. He still got guys around that he can look to and say, you know what, I can do what he's doing because I've been there before. And it, it just, again, it just made me feel good to hear him say that. and. I wish him all the luck in the world. Anytime he needs me, he knows, he knows where I'm at. Yeah, it was a great story in The Athletic about Tony Gwynn starting his career in Walla Walla, Washington with John <laughs> Cruck, two of your old teammates. Uh, but to think about that, and, and the thing that's funny about Tony Gwynn, they all knew this guy isn't going to be here very long. Oh, they knew that. Yeah, they knew that. He comes in there back then, and Tony could run. You know, Tony could do everything. And he was just one of those guys that could have played NBA basketball, but he chose baseball. And he had played, I remember playing when he was playing at San Diego State, and he'd come right out there to the baseball field, 
and he just takes off like he had missed any spring practice. It was just natural to him. And he just he just knew right then that this guy is special. And when he got to the big league, it just carried over to his career. And as you know, eight-time batting champion and a guy that basically could hit 330 every year. And one year I watched him, and if it wasn't for the strike, he would have been the last guy to hit 400 because he was on fire that year. Well, before you get out of here, uh, we want to sell some houses. H- how can people get a hold of you? 925-548-3918. Um, I'm, I'm waiting for some of those calls to come in. Uh, I'm ready to work. You know, it's the, the market is hot. If you want to put your house up, we can get you almost three times what it's worth. And if you want to buy one, we'll have to bid on those houses. This is a tough market right now, but it's good for both buyers and sellers. We just have to find the right deal. But there's homes out there to be bought and there's homes out there to be sold. So give me a call at 925-548-3918 and we'll get it done. You are the best, Bipster. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. Be safe. All right, Tony. Enjoy the ball game tonight, my friend. Well, now joining us, as he does every single Friday, from ESPN, the Oakland A's, Pac-12 Network, the Touchdown Radio Network, the great Roxy Bernstein. And, Roxy, I want to know, last night was so much fun, the Field of Dream games. Did you actually plant corn in your backyard on the peninsula so you could get the field? I did everything I could to make it feel like I was there. I mean, it was just a fabulous night celebrating the game of baseball. Chris, you know, you and I, look, we criticize the game, and they tend to screw some things up. They could not have had a more perfect night last night. And everything went right. The weather was perfect last night in Iowa. The game was just a fabulous game. It could not have gone scripted any better in fact, for me, in the Field of Dreams movie was great. They could make a movie about the game and the event last night. That's how good that night was last night in Iowa. Yeah, Kevin Costner, who you know we've grown up our whole lives watching, one of the great actors of his time, watching him come out of the corn, you're like, wow, this place is amazing. And the aerial views. And I was just thinking – you know, this kind of reminds me of, like, the outdoor games in hockey. I bet we're going to see this every single year. If you're baseball and you built the stadium, why wouldn't you? I mean, if you're the A's, why wouldn't you want to go play there? It'd be awesome. I, I think every team ha- would be excited about going there and taking part in this. And it sounds like the Cubs are going to be involved next year. That's the rumor. that. And David Ross hinted as much I, earlier this week. Uh, about the possibility of the Cubs playing in a Field of Dreams game in 2022. And, you know, I think it'll be a Cubs-Cardinals. That's just my guess. Because St. Louis originally was supposed to be in it last year. And then, of course, everything got postponed because of COVID. So uh, I I do anticipate it being a fixture in here to stay. And, look, I was texting with Andrew Vaughn of the White Sox this morning, uh, the Cal kid from the North Bay, and he, it's like, this is a night I'm never going to forget. It was just an amazing experience to be a part of. And I, I think that's the reaction. You can see it on the players' faces. And, Chris, I talked to both managers before the game. Miguel Cairo, who was managing the White Sox last night because Tony La Russa wasn't there because of a death in the family, and Aaron Boone. Both of them, you could see what it meant to be a part of that event last night. And Aaron got really emotional when talking about what it means to him to play there. And just, again, seeing the players emerge from the cornfields, 
um, celebrating the game. It just, and the movie in 32 years since Field of Dreams was released, it could not have been a better night for Major League Baseball. Yeah, I, you know, watching the game, I brought my kids over. I explained it to them. It's one of the great baseball movies, father, son, uh, legendary actors. And I'm going to have them watch it now. But just the way they did the stadium, they made everything look old school. I, I, I just, I think, yeah, as you said, a win for Major League Baseball. And I think, you know, a win going forward. And, I mean, you could have a lot of – I mean, you could have college teams play there, minor league teams. Just that plot of land, because of that great movie, has become so special in baseball lore. And, look, the, the, the touch with the uniforms and bringing the uniforms back from the, and trying to recreate them from the early 20th century. Um, just everything about it. The, the manual scoreboard in right center field. Okay, yes, they did have the video board, but I like the way that – they cut the MLB logo into the corn dreams of the grandstand, the White House and the picket fence. And unfortunately, they couldn't turn the playing field from the movie into the field for last night and the stadium because I guess it's just there was some issue with I know they looked into it and tried, but they couldn't do it. That's why they built the stadium where they did adjacent to that field from the movie. But again, seeing the players emerge from the cornfields last night, seeing balls disappear and all the home runs that were hit last night into the cornfield. It was just an amazing setting, the sunset that we had last night for that game. And just everything was to a T last night. And it could not have been scripted any better. It really couldn't have been. And then you have the dramatics of the game, right? The ninth inning with two outs, our guy Liam Hendricks, gives it up on, on a pair of two-run homers to Judge and then to Stanton, and then to see Tim Anderson walk it off in the bottom of the ninth inning and the fireworks shooting off up above Field of Dreams. Just a, an amazing, beautiful scene. And just not just for baseball, but connecting with family and your the relationship with your dad. And look, you and I growing up and how influential our dads were and our love for the game of baseball. That's what I identified with most last night is just growing up, and I felt like a kid again watching that game, to be honest with you. He even had a hot air balloon roll by. How about that? All of a sudden, I'm like, whoa, where'd that come from? (laughs) But I I was doing the game, and and Greg Olson, who I did the game with, the former closer, he was a rookie of the year with the Orioles in 1989. He was my partner last night on the ESPN radio broadcast, and he was so jealous that he didn't have an opportunity like this. He accomplished a lot of great things in his major league career and had a fabulous run as a, as a closer in the big league. But I think every player that's the sediment around baseball today is they're jealous that they were not part of what the White Sox and the Yankees got to experience last night. Well, now knowing what you're telling us, the smartest thing they ever did was not get rid of the original field because watching it, knowing that everybody can go to the original field, it's still the exact same. The house where they filmed, where Kevin Costner was living and all the different buildings right there, if you just would have put a big stadium there, it it wouldn't be the same. The fact that they kept the original field the way it is and people can still go out there, play catch with their dad, their daughter, mom, I I, I think that was that. In the end, hindsight, I bet they're like, you know, we did it right. They did. And look, it was even great celebrating the day before, I believe, Kevin Costner was there playing catch with his kids. 
and, and they were having a catch. And I, I, Aaron Boone, it's funny, I taped an interview with him pregame, Chris, and I asked him, the last question I asked him was, are you going to go have a catch? He goes, absolutely. And he literally walked out of the manager's office, got off the Zoom with me, and went and played catch on the original site. And that's what it was all about last night. Nostalgia uh, for when we were kids. and We loved the game growing up. Aaron Booney's a baseball junkie like we are and just loves the game growing up around the game, of course, with his family's relationship to the game of baseball. And it was a little unfair. I asked him, do you think it means more to you than somebody else? And he goes, I, I can't say that, but I can tell you how much it means to me. And that he wanted to make a point to go to the original field and play catch on that diamond tells you all you need to know about the significance of last night. Yeah, Liam Hendricks on the television broadcast, our buddy Liam, friend of the program, talked about he went through the maze, he went over to the original field. It, it seemed like all these guys realized uh, we want to we want to take it all in, going to the original house. I know they have a, a memorabilia place, but it sounds like all the players wanted to participate, just not showing up and getting ready for the game the day before, but they all wanted to really soak it all in, which is cool, which I think – We'll, we'll, we'll see that for years. As I said, Rocky, and you're, uh, Roxy, uh, you're, you're a big hockey fan. It's, it's got kind of like the outdoor game in some ways. It's really special. Yeah, it's a lot like the Winter Classic. You're right. That all of a sudden you choose a destination. But this is a little bit different because the Winter Classic is mostly in football stadiums, right? That we've seen them play uh, at the Big House in Michigan. Right, we've we've seen them go to Fenway Park and or Yankee Stadium and play a baseball or a hockey game. This is different because of the significance. And look, you're driving along in the middle of nowhere, right? You're in the sticks in Iowa. It's cornfield after cornfield, and all of a sudden, in the middle of nowhere, there is this baseball field, and that was the site of the game last night, the first major league game ever in the state of Iowa, and. It was played what was a cornfield. And I just think that the significance of what was accomplished by Major League Baseball can't be lost on what we saw. And if you tried to recreate that in another sport, I don't know how you could do it. I mean, the Winter Classic to an extent, right? There's no way to do it in football or I don't in the NBA. It's not like I know college basketball, they tried to play games on aircraft carriers, stuff like that. I mean, maybe if you went back and you played a college game in the gym that Hoosiers was built in. You know, something like that is the only thing that would be uh, equivocal to what we saw last night in Major League Baseball. And just with the love affair that so many people have with the game and all, and the baseball movies that have just translated and resonated with people over the years. And certainly we can relate because it's not just a baseball movie, Field of Dreams. It's about relationships. It's about a father and a son. And I think that's why it registered so deeply with so many people last night. And then before that game, the athletics went out and I thought it was a, a great game plan by Bob Melvin, two touchdowns early, kicked the field goal and then played defense the rest of the way. And another shutout. I really liked the way they played yesterday. I'm really upset. Bob didn't go for two though. You know, you, you, when you got him on the ropes, you got to kind of rub it in their face, right? He should have gone for two. Darn it. I mean, Jim Harbaugh would have said, what's your deal? But uh, they're playing great right now. They're Steve, absolutely playing. It's, it's so fun to watch this team right now. Steve Spurrier would have tried to go for 62. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
well, you're just going to put the lights on. We're going to kick the ball up. We're going to see how many points you can put up on the scoreboard. <laughs> the old ball coach. But, no, yeah, they're right. Right now, you look at this new lineup, and you look how this team is rolling right now, Roxy. Uh, it, it, they're right on the Houston Astros' heels. And just, and just watching the Yankees, you know, they either got to hit a home run or score. I, I so love the way the A's have remade their offense so they're not like the New York Yankees. The one thing about the Yankees is, Chris, they're going to start getting healthy here soon. Now, their schedule gets a little bit more difficult coming up. And talking to Aaron Boone last night, Corey Kluber's on a rehab assignment. He just went out. Luis Severino just uh, finished his third rehab assignment. He's making it tonight. Um, Garrett Cole, they expect to come. He's thrown a bullpen today. They expect him to come back off the injured list. Um, you go on and on the COVID list. They're hoping to get Rizzo back soon. Chapman will be back soon. Urshela did have a setback in coming back from his hamstring. So the Yankees are going to get healthier. And that's, I, I think, significant for them. But keep in mind, you know, they got some head-to-head games with the Red Sox. The A's still have the four-game set with the Yankees. They still have to play the Rays. But they're getting healthy. We know the White Sox are going to continue to run away with the Central. Nobody's going to challenge them. But it'll be interesting to see the race in the East between Tampa Bay that all of a sudden has a little bit of a cushion, Boston, the Yankees, Toronto's in there, where the A's, okay, you're chasing Houston, but you're in a really good spot as far as the wild card goes also. But as we, you and I know, Bob Melvin's not even looking at the wild card right now. All he's looking at is the Houston Astros and his ball club and that's all he's concerned with until I think he needs to worry about the wild card. Well, the thing about the A's, too, this new lineup, they're 8-1 and one with this new lineup. With the new guys, 8-1. and one. It is just they, – they, they've changed their look, Roxy. They're just – talk about how they're just – just the way they're, they're – everybody's stealing bases now. They're, they're scoring runs without having to hit home runs. We love home runs, but they're scoring without having to hit home runs. They're playing a very refreshing style of baseball. And a fun style, right, with how much they're running recently. And it's not just Marte running, but Canna. We've seen him go. Matt Chapman has been running. Um, certainly the energy that Josh Harrison has provided, and hopefully it's not a significant thing that he's dealing with right now. But it just seems like it's been contagious, right? You look at yesterday, and the last couple of days I've been encouraged by what I've seen from Matt Chapman. We know he struggled, and he walked five times yesterday and had a big hit in the ball game the other night. So it, it looks like he's maybe turning the corner a bit and putting together better at-bats. Um, Jed Lowry continues to do what he's been doing all year. And everybody's getting into the act, and you need that this time of the year. You can't just rely on Lowry and Matt Olson to carry you. And that's, I, I think, the boost that Marte and Gomes and Harrison have given this team is more depth to the lineup, more options, and guys that can lengthen the lineup and make it that much more difficult to pitch against. I mean, just to think about that. You're talking about you just can't rely on Jed Lowry. I mean, that's crazy. And the New York Mets have to just cringe every time they see a Jed Lowry highlight, considering how much money they paid Jed for just nine games over the last two years. And he comes back to the A's, and this is where he's comfortable and the place he's been able to stay fresh and healthy. And the A's have done a great job of managing that. And it's just, unbelievable to see him come back and like he hasn't missed a beat at all what do you got this weekend uh i am actually off this weekend the big news is my daughter starts high school on monday so i'm trying to come to grips with that 
And then next Wednesday, I'll have the Brewers and the Cardinals. Um, a week from Saturday, I'll have the White Sox and the Rays. And then uh, after that, I've got back-to-back Saturday, Sunday at the Coliseum, Yankees, A's, uh, Saturday afternoon and Sunday night baseball. Yeah, have it. do you think it's a shocker that the A's are in Sunday night baseball and they're playing the Yankees? I mean, that's out of left field right there. Well, you know what? The options weren't very good for ESPN that day. And there were four games, from my understanding, that were on the table they were looking at. One of them was the Cubs-White Sox, but they weren't going to put the Cubs on Sunday night considering what's left of the Chicago Cubs. All right, that took it out of the equation. Um, The other games, um, there was one other matchup, I can't remember what it was, that they just said no. The the Giants-Atlanta was a possibility but then the Giants were Sunday night baseball against the Dodgers the following week, and Atlanta's kind of teetering in the race a bit. So they figured out ah, we got the Giants next week. Let's let's not do them two weeks in a row. So it made sense in the A's getting a Sunday night home game, which is awesome to see. And hopefully the fans respond and put out a great showing for Sunday night baseball on national television. You can see the A's and the Yankees wrap up that four-game series. All right, buddy. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the first day of high school. We'll talk to you next week. I still can't come to grips with this one, Chris. I just can't. (laughs) Not yet. All right, buddy. Be well. Be safe. You too. See ya. Doug, great to have you on the program once again. We're we're just talking about what we saw last night. Is we all as baseball players remember Field of Dreams, how special that movie was, and to see everything that happened last night. Boy, did Major League Baseball knock it out of the park. What'd you think? Yeah, well, when you think about iconic, I, that's the word I always use for Field of Dreams. I think of it as iconic, and that just means it's representative of you know how baseball kind of created this this spirit of of hope and change and and sort of the core elements of how you think of baseball being this sort of spiritual connection uh that you know all of us fans share and i thought they did a, a nice job of just recapturing it it's something we're all trying to reflect back on especially in these times we've been kind of indoors and on zoom a lot we're looking back at some of the nostalgia of our life and you know it's so nice to you know be able to reimagine it in a way yet maintain some of the core sensibility uh you know that's something that is always part of baseball whether you're building you know camden yards or you know historic stadium or whatever you're doing you're always having this sense of we're looking back but we're also looking forward so i thought they did a nice job of of bringing that together don't you think that every franchise and every player if we did this one time a year would all at one time of their career want to do this? In the short, yes. I think they would love I know if I play it, I would love to do something like it or, you know, think about other examples. Well, Bull Durham was one of my favorite movies, for example. So I, I did play actually where Durham played back when the Bull was there um, in, in A-ball. So I, I think it's great to be part of that history. It's, it's something that baseball is great at with all the storytelling. It's what separates baseball from so many other sports, that, that certain history and how it always stays alive, like playing for the Cubs or the Phillies, all the classic players, they were always around. You know, I saw, in fact, they were coaches many times. So I played for Larry Boa, you know, Greg Gross was my hitting coach. Uh, Larry, you know, Gary Maddox came to my wedding. I mean, that's baseball. And I love that about the game. And I think that 
you know, having a chance to be part of the nostalgia and, and bringing it forward is, is a great thing. You know, I played in Iowa for two years, not in that particular field, but I played in Des Moines for the Iowa Cubs. Loved it, you know, loved it. And um, the people were great. We had a packed house, 10,000 strong at Sec Taylor Stadium. We had good teams. I went to the Iowa State Fair to look how big the cows and the pigs were. And, you know, I was all in, you know. And, and so when you connect the dots between the game and what it means to the community and what it means to the memory of the sport, you know, then you, you know, you are in some ways, you know, keeping the game alive through the next generation by reminding it of its great past. And I always appreciate that. Well, now the number one question I have for you, I got to take you back to Durham. Did you hit the bowl and get a free steak? I didn't, but I had this really rare accomplishment. I made probably one of the best plays of my certainly minor league outfield life. They had a kind of a rock warning track and I made this over the shoulder grab. Um, and the, the announcers liked it so much. I actually won the play of the game, which is supposed to be for Durham Bulls players, but they gave it to me as a visiting player. in Winston Hill. So I got a, I think I got a gift certificate to a restaurant or a steak or something. Uh, it wasn't the bull though. The bull, by the way, in real life was like 500 feet away on top of the roof. It was so far away. It wasn't that right field short porch shot that you saw in the, in the movie. So very different bull. Well, uh, you want to talk about a bull and a guy that has shown up to Oakland and has been crazy. Mm-hmm. Starling Marte in 12 games yep. or days, he's hitting 415, three home runs, nine stolen bases, a 1,041 OPS. I knew he was good, but there's something about it. And talk about where a guy gets traded and he turns it on and wants to show his new teammates how good he is. Well, no doubt. I mean, he's he's been overall an exceptional player. He's had a lot of good years that he's put together and, you know, shown showcased a lot of skills on both sides of the ball, the base pass, and he is revitalized. And sometimes that opportunity comes where you just get a fresh start. You have a chance to win. You're bringing something that your skill set is so uniquely needed to the team, you know, stolen bases and speed. Um, I know Oakland's probably in the you know middle of the pack, 40-some-odd teams stolen bases. He rattled off nine in like a couple of weeks. So, um, yeah, he's an electric player. And, you know, that is, you know, you talk about genius trades and, and great moves at the right time. He's, uh, you know, hit the jackpot there. Oh, well, you know, I joke all the time on the show about, you know, in the Moneyball days, we couldn't talk about bunting. We couldn't talk about stolen bases because that was basically outlawed. And when he started doing all this, we're looking around going, are they allowed to do that now? And now, <laughs> and now everybody's doing it. You, you, Elvis Anderson is stealing a lot more bases. Mark Canna. You got Matt Chapman. It's like everybody yeah. saw Marte doing They go, I can do that. And now everybody's <laughs> running. We're the running A's now. It's unbelievable. I love it. I love it. I mean, you know, look, I have a tremendous appreciation for, uh, you know, Billy Bean and and what Oakland has brought to how we find value in the game. That's an important uh, addition to uh, baseball and and what it's meant. Uh, Certainly when you're evaluating talent and trying to build teams and and that's important, but I know that there's an element of it that uh, can be unintended. You, You do create a risk averse environment because you start to say, well, should I steal third? Well, if I make it on this particular count in this situation, I've increased our chances of scoring a run by 20 percentage points. So that's good. But if I get caught, I decrease our chances of scoring by 40%. So once you start looking at that in that, in that kind of term, then you say, well, I'm not going to steal at all. And what it's done is it's zeroed out 
those minority reports that actually are some of the more exciting parts to the game. Uh, they get you out of the seat. There's some things you can't exactly quantify about what it does when a player gets traded, steals nine bases, and the whole team's like, wait a minute, I can run too. That's havoc for any pitcher. They, they can't get in their rhythm. They start, you know, runners are in scoring position automatically because they're running themselves into it. And yeah, the occasional out happens, and, and you know, but that's the risk-reward you weigh. So I think that that is something that when a team has skills like the A's, that can beat you many different ways and you're not using all of those ways, you're, you're doing your team a disservice. And I think it's been great to see that they've recognized that, wait a minute, we actually have these skills. Let's use them. I don't know if you have noticed, but we've talked a lot about it lately on the show, how so many of these pitchers, they're not holding runners on at all. It's like, they don't no, even, no. they don't care and it's like, why not take advantage of this, especially the relievers who are all coming in trying to throw 100-plus miles an hour. They're not paying attention. It's like, every don't you think everybody should be running if you're not going to be checking me at first or second? Well, you're speaking my language as a base stealer guy, um, no doubt. But what, ha- what happens is the focal point becomes, let's say, the three-run home run, right? I mean, the singles are way down. Hits are down. Batting average is down. So you start to say, well, I'm not going to get three consecutive hits off of like, you know, Jacob deGrom. It's just not going to happen. So I'm going to play to hitting the home run. You know, I'm just going to try to, because first of all, there's a shifting defense everywhere. And the A's, by the way, are in, you know, top eight, top 10 in shifting. So once you start defeating yourself in that way, you say, well, <clears throat> I'm going to sit around and, you know, hit the home run and, and just sort of wait for it. So when you play that, the pitchers start to go, well, I can't make this mistake. I'm not worried about this runner. Let me just focus on this because they are trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark. And that's what happens. And so as runners, your job then is to exploit when they overcompensate and then focus to the point where they're ignoring something that you can use to beat them. And I think that's exactly what the A's are doing right now. Yeah, we got to sprint to the finish line right now. And obviously we saw how good the White Sox are last night. Field of Dreams. Mm-hmm. We got a four-game set with them on the south side coming up here after this series with Texas. Uh, Tampa, we know how tough Tampa is. They've now got a five-game lead. Boston's still there. New York kind of still there. Blue Jays. I mean, the best race is Houston. Leads the A's by a game and a half. Who do you like trending? Other than the A's, who do you like trending right now in the American League? Well, see, I mean, they, there's, there's so many examples in terms of who – you know, can come out of the woodworks. And, uh, you know, I haven't really looked at the schedule strength, but, you know, the A's are the team that's, that's smoking hot right now. I mean, it's hard to, to deny that. What is it, seven in a row at this point? And, uh, you know, Houston's been a juggernaut. I think that there was a little surprise to that because their pitching was kind of younger. And he said, well, you know, I don't know. Every once in a while you look at Seattle and you say, wait a minute now, who are these cats? They're coming, they're coming. And then they kind of lose three, four in a row. And then you kind of take them off the map. So there's, there's sort of teams where you look at, when you look at the East, you have, you know, whether Boston, Tampa, New York is kind of finding some swagger there a little bit. And, and so they're a team of, of definite concern too. I'm watching those teams that are kind of in the middle of their division, but, you know, starting to figure out they're outscoring their opponent and they have an upside. That's what I'm, I'm worried about in terms of, you know, who the A's might get, you know, uh, challenged from because when you come down to it, these last six, seven weeks of the season, it might come down to your schedule staying healthy and, you know, guys getting hot at the right time. And that can sort of fall to any team that has a lot of talent. 
How about your Phillies having a half game lead over the Mets, a game lead over Atlanta? This this NL East has been crazy. Completely crazy. And part of it is they, um, you know, the Phillies have probably the weakest schedule going forward. And that's something that's played to their advantage. They haven't exactly lit the world on fire. They haven't played good defense. A lot of stuff is, is wrong, but they're starting to at least play where they're not playing down to their competition. They're realizing that they have an advantageous schedule. You know, the Mets are without DeGrom. They've made some moves. They've had some injuries. And, and so they're kind of been ripe for the taking. The Phillies sort of took them. So, you know, a lot of baseball left, but it doesn't seem to, you know, that division doesn't have the strongest teams out there. So, you know, it's looking like the West, you know, minus Tatis Jr. Uh, seems to have a lot of the chances of being able to, at least the NL West, that, could get possibly the, the wild card teams coming out of there. You know, Milwaukee's been running away with it for a while. You know, I was just in Chicago calling the game, the Cubs Brewers, and I watched the ten nothing game and the seventeen to four game. The Brewers were just they were on fire. So that's definitely a team to watch because they can flat out pitch. You know, put your professor hat on. How's the school year going to go for you? Oh wow! You know what? I I feel like it's. I wish I felt more comfortable as to what, you know, saying like, oh, we're in the new year. Feels a little bit like last year, but so I'm hopeful that, you know, I have four kids and they're all different grades, eighth, seventh, fourth, you know, everywhere. And um, I'm hopeful that we can kind of get through it and, and uh, have a good year. But, you know, it's a tough time for all of us. You know, we're unprecedented time. That's why something like Field of Dreams and, you know, these are things we kind of need to remember and go back and, and touch on again to, to just remember not so much like the what, you know, what makes up baseball, but the why, you know, what, what's the inspiration to what we're doing and why we're doing it. And, uh, and I think the more we capture that, it helps us deal with the pandemic. It helps us a little bit deal with being kinder and gentler to our neighbor and, and our, our common, our common friend. And, um, and that's to me, what is great about baseball, quite frankly, you're always looking out uh, for the next generation and in that shared space. Well, every time after you leave this show, I always say this show is smarter because you were on it. I always appreciate your time. You do so much great work in so many different ways, and we always promote everything you got going with Jason Stark and all your broadcasting and and education. But uh, thank you so much for the time. Be safe, and let's talk soon. Absolutely. Let's do it. And Oakland fans should be really thrilled. You have a great team. So we'll keep it up and look forward to seeing the postseason. Take care. All right. Take care. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.